All right, everybody. We hope all of you who are our listeners in the U.S. have been enjoying a nice, long Thanksgiving weekend. We're back at work with a great show for you. First, we're going to talk about bet sizing on BC Sunday School. How, when you're thinking about structuring your fund, you decide how much to put where and how to maximize, of course, those big power law returns. Then, in this week in climate startups, we've got Ben Birnbaum of Terawatt and Keyframe Capital joining to talk about how to supercharge commercial EVs, raising a billion dollars in the Series A, starting a venture capital firm while running a startup, and much more. Stick with us. This Week in Startups is brought to you by OpenPhone. As a startup founder, a lot of mistakes are easy to roll back, but using your personal cell phone number as your company number isn't one of them. OpenPhone makes it easy to get business phone numbers for you and your team, right on top of your existing devices. Visit openphone.com slash twist to get 20% off your first six months. Odoo is a fully customizable and fully integrated suite of business apps that lets you build and scale your stack as you build and scale your business. Odoo is now offering all of their award-winning applications, services, and maintenance for under $25. To learn more, go to odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. And House of Macadamias is the next big health trend. Get 20% off your first purchase at houseofmacadamias.com slash twist by using code twist20. All right, everybody. Sunday, Sunday, time for VC Sunday School because the learning never stops. And today... Hope everybody had a great Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, right. right. Sunday. Thanksgiving hey, Sunday. Happy Sunday, everybody. Yeah. I hope you're just like... Eating yeah. pie and relaxing, Ooh, and maybe yeah, the family. Maybe the family has slice or two now, right? If there's, it's Sunday. You got like yeah. maybe one slice of pecan pie, like maybe half a crust of the pumpkin pie. You don't maybe. do two dinners. We do two. D- there's no there's mashed potatoes. Like a Saturday. If you got mashed potatoes or stuffing left, yeah, something's wrong. You should have killed that on Friday, Saturday. You should have made that you, into a proper shepherd's pie by now. For like, sure. Ooh, strong yeah. move. Strong move. Oh, always. Right. You, but always. let's get to work. Let's get to work. You have a question yeah. for me. Yeah. Enough goofing off. It's time to get back to work, people. It's Sunday. It's Sunday. I do have a question. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, you know, I spend the whole first year learning, like, when you decide, how you decide to sure. make a bet mm-hmm. and then where you want to bet and why you want to bet. And then sure. all of a sudden, in one of our investment team meetings recently, came not just do you make a bet? And if so, how much do you bet? But specifically, how important it is to determine how much you bet this idea of bet sizing. Yes. And I'm not a gambler. So this is all new to me. Um, correct. So let me um, explain it to you. You have a certain amount of money to deploy. And you want to get an idea based on the power law, right? We've had uh, Sebastian on and we all know about the power law, the Pareto principle 8020 rule. You know, in our industry, one or two investments will define uh, your career as an venture capitalist, two or three investments, or even one will define the returns of your fund, right? That's the nature of our business, you get a lot of zeros. So we were on a call. And I thought I would explain this in a Google sheet. So here, I'll pull it up, you really need to watch this one, but I'll do my best to explain it, Molly, I have four scenarios. Now these four scenarios are going to be based upon how many 10x bets you make how many 100x 50x returns you get so it's the same number of bets right molly 50 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 50 times 250k each right so you're investing in a company let's say it's a five to 15 million dollar startup a value startup in the seed stage you know you can put it at 
you know, 8 million on average or something, again, two or three percentage points ownership uh, in the company. And um, here we have uh, the outcome of zero. So in this scenario, I said 30 of the 50, 60% of the companies would return $0. It might even be 40, right? You, if you're investing yeah. very early, you get a lot of donuts, you get a lot of zeros, what we call a failed experiment. Fair enough? Yep. Pretty straightforward. Okay, that's that what means I've been told a lot of baby turtles don't make it. They don't make it, sadly. But we look at them as experiments. And if the founder learns something, we will invest in their next company in the next fund, right? Um, and that's some of the great investments of all time. Uber was Travis's third company. Uh, superhuman was Raul's second company. So you know, second, third, fourth time up at bat, you could hit a big winner. So here we go. How many of these return one times your money? So we're going to say 12. 12 of them return one times your money, you get your money back, right? So 12 times 250 is $3 million. So now you've returned $3 million of the 12.5 million in direct seed investments that you've deployed. Okay, you're still 8.5 million in the hole. <laughs> now let's say there's a 10 couple of 10 x's in there. Let's say seven, 14% of your companies return 10 x. Well, 10 times $250,000 is 2.5, 7 times 2.5, 17,500,000. And let's say you have 150x in the portfolio. Oh boy, yum yum. You hit some outlier and 50 times $250,000 is 12.5 million, right? It was one of the 50. That's why I did 50x here, right? So you could actually see one pays for all the principal, which yeah. means you had uh, approximately 20,500 in profits. So if you look at the end, you return $33 million, which is a multiple of 2.6x, of right? So cash on cash, 12.5 million went in, and 33 million went out, right? Yep. Extraordinary. That yep. is an incredible outcome. Uh, you congratulations, uh, you probably beat the market, right? Mm -hmm. Now, if I were to delete <laughs> this one, that was the outlier, you're now 1.6, right? you barely returned more than you put in, right? So the outlier really matters. In scenario two, um, we have a very similar setup. 30 companies went to zero, 12 companies returned the amount of money you invested, six returned 10x, one returned 50x, but we added one, we added a 100x. So $250,000 investment became worth $25 million, a true Hot outlier, damn. right? Yeah, damn. Now your fund is at 4x plus in terms of cash on cash return, you're a hero. Now you're like, you know, really top percentage of your industry. And let alone if we did a scenario where we added a 200x, which does happen, right? And that would put you at 6x. Now, if you happen to hit a 3000x, which is what like an Uber or an Airbnb could have been worth, depending on the timing and the public market value. Yeah, you hit two of those, you know, let's say, and you have six of the 200 X's, you have some Sequoia like benchmark, like you could have like in this would be historic, but a 100 times cash on cash return, not going to happen in all likelihood. So I put like, maybe one at 3000, zero at 200 X. But even still, if you hit a 3000 Xer, which has happened with a Google an Apple, a Facebook, an Uber, an Airbnb, potentially you could have a thousand, two thousand, three thousand x return, and you could have a fund that returns cash on cash 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 times money. So this is what people are betting on. They're betting as an LP when I invest in funds, 
that I'm going to hit one of the first two scenarios in all likelihood. Maybe I'll even, you know, only return one time my money. I'm fine with returning one times my money, you know, I get my money back. That's like for me as a gambler, totally acceptable, especially if there's a chance that I could have a 6x or a 10x or more return on my fund investment. Does that make sense? Right. It does. So then how does that impact? What about the, the that's the betting, but mm -hmm. then what about the sizing part of that? Like, sure. does this concept influence how much you want to put into different companies based sure. on where you think they're going to end up in that column? Well, we're saying here 32% of the funds, you know, $39 million in deployable capital is going to these first bets. Now, in this scenario, I also talked about our accelerator, I talked about Founder University, one of our new products where we invest small amounts of money. But let's look at follow on investment here, I've said we're going to leave 38% even more for follow on investments. And in this scenario, we'll do 60 bets, because we have an accelerator, and we have Founder University, 60 bets of 250k which would be 15 million of the fund. And so if some of those hit, and those ones you should have a higher hit rate on because you know more about the company, it's a follow on investment, then you're going to start to see another profile of returns that could be very accretive to the fund, right? And that's really my philosophy of early stage investments is place a lot of small bets, and then have a lot of cash reserves to bet more. Now, some people might say, hey, you should have you know, 60% on the first bets, 40% on the follow on 70 30, who knows. Mm -hmm. And that's where the art comes in. You might have so many companies that are doing so well that you don't have enough reserves. Um, you might have a situation where you have all these reserves, but you don't have any winners. And then you run into a winner that's not part of your existing portfolio. And you just bet it all on, you know, uh, what would be Ubers or Airbnb series B or series C because you're like, okay, we didn't hit a we didn't find a rocket ship in our primary investments. Let's go externally find a rocket ship. And so these scenarios can be back tested against your previous funds performance, right? So you could look and say, yeah. well, in my first two funds, how did I do? If your funds are in fact, seven, eight, nine, 10 years old, you'd actually be able to back test this. And then you would look at your performance in that fund and say, Oh, what if I had done more follow on investing in these, right? What if I had done more primary investments and less follow on, right? Did I get my follow ons correct? And this is where you start to build the discipline of, oh, we really need to focus on, you know, putting more money into the winners. And, and that's yeah. where almost all VCs wind up. We have to have to have to figure out how to get more money into the winners. Amazing. There awesome. Love it. And you can, you can, bet you know, sizing. bet sizing, very simple. Not just not just how much you have, how much of it you're going to deploy the first time, how many companies, how yes. much you're going to save for the follow on. Love it. It's also yeah. it's so many more spreadsheets to learn. And well, the great thing you can do is you can actually then uh, track yourself now. So because so this becomes a bit of a plan, right? So this would be as if a poker player said, Okay, I'm going to play in this many tournaments, I expect to cash in this many. Uh, and then I'm going to play in this many cash games, I expect to have this return profile there. And I expect, you know, this many tournaments, I'm going to go to zero, this many, I'm going to return one times my money, and this many, I'm going to return five times my money. Over this amount of time, it's going to take this many hours of play. And they can actually then do what's called bankroll management, you're managing your bankroll. It's the same thing here. This is bankroll management for VCs. Brad. All right, everybody on the phone today is open phones founder Darina Kulia. Welcome to the program, Darina. Thanks, Jason. Great to be here. What about the situation where you have 
you know, a phone number that's a common number. So customer support number, or maybe you wanted people to just be able to call you and generally talk to the sales team. How do you handle that when you have a, a group number, a shared number? That's actually one of the super unique things about the way we've built OpenPhone is that we allow you to to have a shared number for your team. First of all, when you call into that shared number, you can set round robin if, if that's applicable or by default, everyone's phone would ring. The first person to pick it up will be able to have a Ooh, call. I like that for customer support. Wow. Exactly, exactly. And also if if I am on a call with a customer, I don't want to be interrupted. There are other people who can, who can pick up new calls coming in. But I also really think what's very cool is that this workflow works as well for text messages. And not only can you just like share responsibility for responding to text but you can also use this as a training exercise because the way that it works is that if i am a customer support rep there is a text message from a customer i don't know how to answer i can actually tag my teammates privately on that conversation and uh. get help and say hey is this okay to say or how would you respond okay everybody twist listeners can get 20 percent off any plan for their first six months at open phone just go to openphone.com slash twist if you got an existing number they'll port it right over for free head to openphone.com slash twist today for 20 percent off and then of course it would not be sunday without this week in climate startups this is a really interesting one we've got ben birnbaum he's the co-founder of a company called terawatt which is working on these charging locations for evs that would basically be built around fleets they would like provide massive jolts of electricity to commercial fleets and vehicles that are, you know, and fleet owners that are trying to switch to EVs. And that is so expensive that the company itself ended up basically spawning a venture capital firm. So Ben is also a partner at Keyframe Capital. Terawatt got over a billion dollars in a Series A to build out its portfolio of these commercial charging centers. One of its investors was Keyframe Capital. Uh, and then this other company, Cyrus Capital, it's just a very interesting look at how much capital it's going to take to build out big time commercial EV infrastructure and how sometimes you might need your own uh, VC fund to invest in that and others trying to do the same thing. Here comes Ben Birnbaum. Enjoy. Ben Birnbaum is the co-founder of Terawatt and partner at Keyframe Capital, which builds uh, and Terawatt builds electric vehicle charging infrastructure for fleets, which is the high level description. Can you break that? Do you have two jobs? Are you also in VC? Something like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, one. Tell me more. Kind of naturally led to the other, but I think you nailed it. But we'll, we'll get there in time. All right. But yeah, thanks for thanks for having me. Yes, welcome where, to this. Where should I start? Um, start with Terawatt, because billion dollar raise is yeah, nothing to sneeze at. Yeah, we're we're excited about that. So I'm a partner at Keyframe. Um, I kind of have one job, but at, at this point, because we have a fantastic team at Terawatt, and it's led by uh, a CEO Neha Palmer, who was the uh, the ex global head of energy for Google. Mm -hmm. But at a, at a point, it was two until she joined. But yeah, so I'm a partner at Keyframe, which is an investment firm that me and a couple of the founders of Terawatt also started. But everything kind of happened in order. But we're a, we're a firm that focuses on energy transition. So excited about all the stuff that you're up to. We invest a little bit downstream of where you are. We've got a round of billion dollars at UM. Let's talk offline. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. 
but we invest sort of thematically across that. And we, uh, we, we grew sort of very naturally out of, um, out of terawatt, which is at, you know, EV charging and, and specifically fleet charging hubs are kind of at the cross section of, um, so many different energy and infrastructure needs. And I'll tell you about, we're building that business, but, um, that business ended up being an invest ended up for us being, you know, needing to build an investment platform, but. All right. That is yeah. definitely not something that you hear that often. So let's take this chronologically. Well, it, it also, um, <laughs> yeah, it also, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't intentional, uh, at the very beginning, but, um, but I'm excited that it all happened and I'm excited about, uh, where, where both businesses are going. Okay. So it sounds like Terawatt came first. Terawatt came first for sure. So tell me about that and that business. Yeah. So, you know, at its, at its simplest form, I'll tell you what it does. And then I'll tell you about how we started it. Mm -hmm. So at its simplest form, we buy real estate and redevelop it into charging hubs for fleets of electric vehicles. We should jump in here by fleets of electric vehicles. You mean not consumer vehicles? This is like, yeah, not personal vehicles. And, you know, think very simply like, the postal service or FedEx or Amazon or bus depots or mm -hmm. things like that. But okay. the reason that we do that, uh, the reason why we uh, feel like it's important for businesses like ours to exist is when you plug uh, any number of pieces of equipment that consume a lot of electricity in at the same time, at the same place. Mm -hmm which a commercial vehicle has a much larger battery than a uh, personal vehicle. So think like a picture in your mind, a Tesla semi or a, you know, the Amazon Rivian vans have started to roll off the line and are out there in the world versus uh, your uh, sedan. Yep. They, they pull a lot more power yep. and plug 200 of that or a bus, you know, a municipal bus, plug 200 of them in at the same place at the same time. And you can use, you re this is not a hyperbole. Um, you can use as much electricity as a skyscraper and not like a, not like a baby skyscraper, like, <laughs> like the, like the empire state building, like the Salesforce tower. Yeah. yeah okay. Like this, I, got, I yeah. actually, I have, the Salesforce Tower and the Empire State Building are on pitch decks somewhere. <laughs> and there are many, many uh, locations out there in the world that have 50 to four or 500 vehicles. Um, think logistics centers, you know, or garbage trucks or taxi depots or things like that. Mm -hmm. And you know, those places were not cited for their ability to get that kind of power. Mm -hmm. And so they were, they were cited for their ability to meet the transportation need. Right. And so the very short decision tree that every one of those businesses has to go through is do I develop new infrastructure out to my site, which is takes a long time because you have to deal with the utility um, and 
you know, is expensive and is a complex uh, engineering challenge? Mm-hmm. Or do I do I move to a new site that has enough electricity capacity to serve me as a uh, electrified fleet? The answer is both. Okay. The answer like, is both. I'm like both of those yeah. sound really hard. No, yeah, one of those doesn't sound both. significantly uh, bo- bo- easier. Both yeah. of them are 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 not good. Uh, right. Are not good options. Right. I mean, they're they're not necessarily like bad options, but um, they're better you, options than not electrifying. Yeah, sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, if you're the fleet manager of uh, a taxi service, um, you know, I I think you're you're. Uh, you're doing what the company is says and you have to figure this stuff out, but they are, they are for sure complex mm-hmm. and changing operations is a complicated thing, but um, Terawatt works with, with companies uh, who operate fleets on both of those things. We, we both, we both develop out sites for our customers and uh, we uh, are acquiring sites that can be redeveloped with, the, the the hardest part is getting enough power to sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, we're acquiring sites that have uh, the the right characteristics from existing infrastructure and ability to bring power there with the utility. So we're we're both working with our customers on their existing sites and mm-hmm. you know acquiring sites where we can uh, serve customers on the timeline line that they need and. You know, so what there's, goes go into ahead. that? Because it sounds it sounds like a real estate development business, yeah, with a with a specific thesis, but but maybe not an obvious venture backable business, which obviously we're going to get to because it is so much that that it spawned a venture firm. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's um, venture backable is a is a. You know, that's a um, term for interpretation. It might be loaded. You know. Grant you that. Yeah. It sounds expensive, I guess is what I'm saying. It sounds expensive <laughs> and our business is capital intensive. Yep. And, you know, Morgan Stanley or BNEF will tell you that the U.S. needs somewhere between $500 billion and a trillion and a half dollars of this infrastructure, mm-hmm. you know, by 2040. And so that is like a billion dollars is like not like not nothing compared to the TAM and our, our business is to consume. I mean, our business is to deliver infrastructure for our customers, but our business model is to consume capital. You asked uh, two questions, but the second question was, how is it sort of backable as a business that can continuously scale is the, well, I guess maybe I, I think question. I, yes. I think um, I asked that the wrong way, which is like, what is yeah. the technology that goes into it? Is it primarily a construction task? Is there energy management? Are there batteries? Like what happens at these sites? Yeah. So I think it's, it's, it's separated in, into two things. Um, the first, I'll just sort of finish my thought. Part of our business is to consume capital. Mm-hmm. And we need to be set up in a way that we can like continuously consume capital at scale. And the second thing is, yeah, there's a, there's a technology overlay um, and that's entirely software based. There's a lot of hardware out there 
um, from awesome companies like everyone from large incumbents that you know serve um, all different types of electronics like ABB through new folks like ChargePoint and you know at a charger and like EV equipment supply level and battery level through uh, like site construction and operations level. Um, it's not really our, it might be, uh, just like a, a solar developer's role is to participate in procurement in some way. It might be our role to, um, like help with the coordination of that or have at our own sites, um, some, you know, preferences for engineering design. Mm -hmm. Um, but we don't, we don't have any innovation in that there's larger companies that are are and have invested a lot of money in all the components that you need for sites to operate well our technology is fleets need like site reliability and like cost and availability of power and it comps actually pretty well to uh data centers and hmm. actually the the entire business model comps pretty well to data centers when when you say comps do you mean in terms of cost build out in terms energy of usage well all all those things but yeah. when you when you think when you look at like the, the answer to your question of like how we set ourselves up and um what's the kind of technology that we need to provide we looked a lot to companies like like equinix for example um who develops data centers and then has the technology that um keeps you know the the data centers consume a lot of power mm -hmm. and they need to have like incredibly high reliability so that um when you and i want to watch a netflix show on a tuesday night um, we can, and it doesn't have any, you know, buffering or anything like that. And so there's like really high SLAs. Like it's like when Amazon needs its fleet charged, it can't have delays because, you know, there's, and it needs availability of power. And, you know, I don't know how wonky we should go here, but if power isn't managed properly, cost swings can be, um, right. you know, can be pretty significant. So uh, we have to have the software that, that manages this stuff across lots and lots of different hardware and complex operations at a site and, and often multiple tenants at a site, which is mm -hmm. very similar to a data center. Mm -hmm. And so that's our software overlay attached to a, you know, uh, an asset owning uh, part of the business. Got it. Yep. Looking for a better way to manage your company without tons of expensive disconnected software? Then you need Odoo. Odoo is an affordable, all-in-one management software with a massive suite of fully integrated applications designed to handle any unique business need. 
Sounds great, right? Well, it gets even better. Odoo is now offering all of their award-winning applications, services, and maintenance for under $25. That's right. For less than $25, you get 100% of Odoo for 90% less than the average market price. And Odoo is so much more than a world-famous ERP. That's Enterprise Resource Planner. Odoo has over 80 applications for everything your company will ever need. We're talking CRM, marketing, accounting, manufacturing, inventory, you name it, Odoo's got it. So as your business grows and your needs change, Odoo will be there every step of the way with dozens of user-friendly solutions to choose from, and you get it all for under $25. To learn more, go to odoo.com slash twist. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash twist. Get more done in less time for a fraction of the price with Odoo. And are you actually in the, I mean, just to like walk out a tiny bit, are you in the energy procurement business? Like when you pop up these sites, you're clearly trenching and, but are you, sounds like you're optimizing the energy use. Yeah. It's a little early for me PPAs or. That's a thing that I, that's, that probably will do, but like, (laughs) I don't like right now, um, we're, that's, we're like in like, uh, a, uh, walk before we run situation, but, um, we, we will do stuff like that to, to optimize energy costs and as well as like help our customers get to net zero. Um, mm-hmm. that's not the, that's not the kind of thing that customers are like really focused on right now. They're focused on like, um, something I, I didn't get to say before, but there's been this promise of EVs for since, I don't know, 2012, the 2016, 2020. And like now they're actually being delivered and mm-hmm. now people are, are just, kind of scrambling for you know oh my god i need a charging solution and i need it now and um they're the the sla asks and requirements and contracts are more related to uptime and reliability than they are to than they than they really are to um you know, any, any level of, they're more transportation oriented than they are energy oriented so far. I'm very excited for them to be, for them to be any energy oriented, but I'm not surprised for them for that to take some time to catch up. But yeah, yeah. Um, our, our CEO is the, is the, is the woman who took, um, you know, Google to, to net zero. So right. um, she'll, she'll do it for, uh, she'll do it for transportation as well. Yeah. I mean, not for nothing. That's a, that was a huge signal to lots and lots of industries um okay so i would one last question about terawatt and then let's move to how it spawned the firm where you're now a partner i would imagine that this has been terawatt came out of stealth in 2021 yeah that's right and then infrastructure bill passes which has lots of climate invest uh incentives ira passes which has lots of climate incentives like it feels like you must be thinking it's a great time to be in this business. I mean, in 2017, when we started the business, mm-hmm. it was like not consensus that electric vehicles were going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. Let alone electric fleets. Yeah. I mean, there's, there are, are less people that are skeptical now, but there are still some skeptics of that. 
I have some good investor rejection stories yeah. from 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 folks who um, are now heavily invested in you know big EV spacs and things like that. I see. Mm-hmm. You know who who are we're you know big automotive you know career automotive folks who were like this is a waste of time because vehicles aren't going to go electric so i don't know what why you guys are doing this yeah so just you know yes excited about the things that have happened over the last year but um relative to 2017 like we were buying property where that had good inter- interconnect and some people were like what are you doing with your lives? So, you know, <laughs> um, the last like, year, you know, turns out, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think the, the, the IRA was, is, is, is so exciting for, um, for energy transition in a lot of ways, but I think for, for vehicle electrification, specifically for fleet electrification, it's, it's kind of more like a, like a rising tides thing. There's like a, mm-hmm. there's a couple of, you know, tax credits that are nice, but we're already moving at max velocity mm-hmm. because of what I said before about um, the timeline for infrastructure development. I mean, it, it takes 18 months to two years to develop anything material. And the RA ha- has not addressed anything about, um, you know, permitting or didn't mm. didn't give any uh, additional resources to utilities to work on, you know, interconnection queue backlogs or anything like that. And, you know, I, I think having more public charging stations out there and more people driving EVs will bring positive sentiment to the fleet manager that I mentioned earlier, who might, mm-hmm. you know, not have been that interested in the conversation earlier, but um, there's a lot of, there is a, there's significant blocking and tackling um, that has to happen. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a, but it's, it's such a, it's, it's early days in a market that is just like so big and exciting. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I feel lucky and excited and it's a, uh, it's a really fun team to be, uh, to be working with. Yeah. So I don't know what's EV in the uh, right place, right in time. the, the yeah. climate syndicate yet, but um, hopefully you have some still early fun things still as well. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's still early. Okay, well, talk to me about speaking of our future co-investments. Yeah, how right. terawatt spawned uh, keyframe capital. A lot of things were happening simultaneously. Um, so this is a little twenty twenty hindsight, but you know, our first three years, we were we were buying property around the country with a with the thesis that I described that you know it was there was going to be um, you know constraints in you know, where, and there, there was going to be a real need and there was going to be a real benefit to being able to deliver that uh, quickly. And so if we could get a head start on um, things like preliminary designs and getting site control that we would be able to, you know, be in good position for the, you know, market opportunity when it presented itself. Mm-hmm. And so, and we, we weren't exactly in stealth, but um you know, we, there weren't really like really customers to talk to. Um, like we were going to all the conferences and we were telling people we're buying property and we're interested in fleets. And they're like, you're doing what? Like, I don't understand the connection. And so to our, to our investors perspective, 
as you kind of rightly noted, there's um, obviously there's a, a corporate element to what we're doing, but there's also like a real estate, um, you know, acquisition and development angle to what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And so to our investors perspective, you know, we're purchasing some assets with a thesis around energy transition, which, you know, and we had to raise appropriate capital from the appropriate sources to be able to do that. And so they were interested and, um, you know, would keep tabs on us and, and keep tabs on market opportunity. And they would, you know, had kind of seen us as folks in the energy transition space and were kind of pushing us on, you know, what other kinds of assets were out there like that. And then simultaneously, um, we're having these conversations with, with fleet operators and we're talking to a fortune 10 head of transportation operations mm-hmm. and the properties we're buying were like metaphorically think like the property next to an Amazon distribution center. And okay. imagine if Amazon came and said, Hey, can you give us a proposal for what charging infrastructure, like what a turnkey charging infrastructure would look like on the neighboring property? This sounds really interesting. And at the time our team was just, I didn't get to tell you my and my team's full background, but our team was just pretty lean and mostly just focused on acquiring real estate until the market opportunity really presented itself. And mm-hmm. it was at that point that um, we felt like, wow, we really have like product market fit with just like the land that we've bought um, or we kind of called it land market fit. And we felt like, yeah, absolutely. We'll like bring you a proposal. But then we came back with ourselves and we were like, wow, to, to be able to deliver a proposal that scope, um, we're really going to need to build out the rest of the company. And that's when we, you know, we sat down with our investors and talked about what that was going to, what was going to look like. Um, and also sort of talked about what I said before about, you know, their interest in the work that we had done over the past couple of years, acquiring, you know, assets with this differentiated point of view. And that's when we made the decision to recruit a team with the capabilities of like delivering on that technical vision while we continued to build the fund and be able to back them in in building the business and you know and ultimately invest in other businesses like it all right listen my favorite nut macadamia my favorite chocolate dark now i have in my office a nice box of macadamia bars and dark chocolate and i got dark chocolate covered macadamias a perfect snack for jcal i get a nice cup of black coffee and i treat myself and that company is house of macadamias the founders of this company brandon and carmen they've been listeners to this podcast this week in startups for a long time and they told me i kid you not that they started their company after they listened to this week in startups and they read my book angel they used the returns on their first angel investment i kid you not this story is amazing uh to start this macadamia nut business and uh look all nuts are not created equal here are all the the health benefits of macadamias compared to peanuts, almonds, cashews, and walnuts. Macadamias are high in omega-7s, which have been linked to fat loss, which I need, right? And natural collagen, so you look nice. They also have more healthy fats and less carbs. Every product is vegan, keto, and paleo. Since you, you probably have two or three of those uh, on your list. Take it from me. I eat these macadamias all the time, every week. 
two or three times a week i eat them they're delicious it's my little treat for myself and uh again for me it's, it's dark chocolate for you it might be one of the other flavors they got spicy nuts they got sweet nuts they got everything they got ones that are spicy and sweet here's what i want you to do Go to houseofmacadamias.com slash twist right now. Get 20% off by using the code TWIST20. That's code TWIST20 for 20% off at houseofmacadamias.com slash twist. Wait, I still don't totally understand, though, why the how the fund became necessary. Was it in order to at least partially, like, raise money from LPs in order to at least partially fund Terawatt? Yeah, or that's was right. was it? Okay, got it. Yeah, so we worked on uh, the capitalization up through... Uh, the the financing with Vision Ridge, mm-hmm. and um, you know, to to get all of Terawatt's capitalization done, we kind of formed into um, Keyframe as a fund, um, and Terawatt became what was like our sort of first and one of our marquee investment positions. And then, how much did the fund raise? Um, our first fund was around 250 mm-hmm. and we now have a little over a billion. Okay. And they're continuing to invest not exclusively in Terawatt, like other EV infrastructure businesses. We have like over 20 companies in our portfolio mm-hmm. and we're broadly focused on energy transition at this point we have like specialists in a couple of areas like i would say where we spent the most time are building automation and energy efficiency grid edge carbon capture we've made a number of investments in in ev charging we just made an investment in a uh, multifamily ev charging business oh mm-hmm. we also were investors in EV Connect that uh, exited last year. So is, it sounds like part of the thesis is the toler is a tolerance for hardware. <laughs> Let's yeah, say we're, we're <laughs> like um, we're you know we 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 definitely lean into the complexity of the capital needs of uh, of energy transition, and I think. Maybe it was lost in part of my explanation, but what I something that our LPs really push us on and and like is, you know, the not not necessarily to go out there and find assets, but um, but it's impossible to deal with infrastructure out there in the world and have that not be related to your business in some Mm -hmm. way. And so, whether we're invest, you know, whether we're a venture investor in a SaaS business. Or like a David Energy or a Passive Logic or a couple of companies in our portfolio, or you know, or we're something more, uh, or in Arcadia um, is another example, mm-hmm. or we're doing something more asset intensive with like a CNI Solar business like Wonder Capital or an HVAC retrofit business like uh, Redaptive. We try to, you know, be more focused on thesis and thematic development like we had around, have had around fleet charging 
and why that matters and less uh, focused on, um, you know, does it fit neatly within uh, traditional, specifically traditional, you know, venture sort of checklist might look like mm-hmm. just because, you know, it's that's that can be very difficult with um, with energy and infrastructure. Just, you know, assets are it's, it's impossible to avoid assets. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Well, then tell me the the background. Like, what is the origin story that you alluded to? Where did this team come from and how did you get interested in this specific problem and then end up um, recruiting Neha to run it? Yeah. So I was the head of strategy at a company called MV Transportation. From the look on your face, I can tell you're very familiar. <laughs> that is my polite, interested, tell me more face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they are one of the largest public transit operators in the world. Okay. And I joined, I think I am the the, the luckiest person in transportation. Um, I joined what, what was a... Um, a unique business in they operate the public transit services in 250 or so cities in the U S and Canada. So that means cities outsource to a third party operator like, you know, dart in Dallas or the MTA in New York or whatever in a 10 to 30 year contract paratransit or their fixed route bus or school buses or whatever it is mm-hmm. like the labor the capex the facilities the technology all of it the maintenance services all of it into a, a contract and companies like mine or transdev or first group um, there's a few big ones in the world bid on them in thousand plus page rfps responses and they're complex and a bit thankless of operations, but they could be hundred plus million dollar contracts. Mm-hmm. And I joined to not for a deep passion of transportation nor infrastructure or sustainability, but like a private company with an interest of selling itself into private equity. My interests have evolved, but I was, was that, say, that, pretty mercenary that, for a guy. Yeah, it doing. was like <laughs> I was, you know, in my mid twenties, and it was uh, just like an exciting um, business opportunity. Honestly, and, I wish I had been that strategic at that age. Yeah, <laughs> and um, but I, I joined, and and it was like I started. I started to work on the, what the assignment that I just described to you, and private equity firms were questioning. We had a five six hundred million dollar paratransit business. And private equity firms were questioning, it was like 2015 or something, and they were questioning, there's this company Uber is growing like crazy. Are they going to just like replace your entire business? And so I was having to learn those things for private equity firms and then go work on, okay, I got to do a deal with Uber to prove to these private equity firms that we're we have a right to exist in the world Mm -hmm. and that was i don't know if you remember this but that was like the time when mobility 
VC became a thing and it absolutely exploded. And anybody with a PowerPoint deck that said mobility, AI, autonomous electric vehicles, like could get $5 million and start a Mm -hmm. company. And when I began to look at uh, like vehicle electrification for a business, it was like kind of a little bit into Proterra's life and people were starting to buy electric vehicles. I, and our, and my job was kind of like, as head of strategy was meet with mayor's offices and departments of transportation, understand their needs and figure out how to get them into that thousand page RFP response in a way that brought in new technologies and fit the business model. Mm-hmm. And they started to ask for electric vehicles. And I, I realized, you know, it was just going to change every aspect of our operations, change our maintenance operations, change what our drivers needed to do, uh, change our site operations. And then I started to meet with people at contemporary companies, not competitors, but like just other fleet operators. They also had no idea what to do and their staff had no idea what to do. And then I started to talk to a friend who is another Terawatt co-founder. His name's Ethan Goldsmith, Mm -hmm. uh, who was one of the earliest Rivian employees. And the two of us were, you know, brainstorming a little, like a little bit about, and so he was obviously very bought into um, electrification as a concept. And I'm easily excitable, so he got me even more bought in. And you know, so we started making one of those one of those slide decks, putting those words, those buzzwords on there, and we were like, we could maybe we could start something. And then we we um, we meet a uh, we meet our third co-founder. His name's his name's John Rappaport, and. Earlier in his career, he had had brought all the capital together to um, start Virgin America. And right. I mean, that name sounded familiar. And yeah, and, and he had done a number of things like that afterwards in transportation and energy. And we weren't sure why he was so excited to have conversations with us, but hey we just we started brainstorming for further with him and uh ethan and i had this absolutely horrible idea we were brainstorming with uh with john about it and and it was going to be a transportation service of like autonomous electric vehicles and we were like it was going to lose a bunch of money for a long time which is not a thing someone should do for a business and we were um I don't know. Venture doesn't seem to hate that, but okay. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. For sure. And we were drawing out the infrastructure, like the hubs that these vehicles were going to need to need to like charge at and depot at and what services were going to need to be there and where they were going to need to be and why that's where they were going to need to be. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing some math around what the charging needs were going to need to be. And then we were like, oh, whoa, that's way too much power. Right, right. Where could we possibly put this? And 
you know, for a little while, we, that was a big light bulb. And then for, for a little while, we, um, we sort of continued on with that plan and we were like, you know, couldn't figure out how to, how to execute it. And then, you know, it just clicked one day that we should, we could just buy the real estate and wait. Mm-hmm. And if vehicle electrification never happened, we could just sell the real estate. You'd have good commercial and, real estate. Right. And, uh, you know, no one would be that mad at us. We might've just wasted some time and, uh, you know, then it did happen. Right. Hmm. So. Fascinating. All right. Well, what's, um, before I let you go here, I've taken up a lot of your time, but what's next? What comes next for either keyframe, terawatt, both? Yeah. So we have six, nine months of runway. So, you know, it's a, what a billion dollars will get you with this much inflation. Yeah. We should say that the, I don't think I specified this up front, but the, the billion dollars was the series a raise and that was completed. I'm looking a couple of months ago, a couple of months ago. Okay. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's what a billion dollars will get you. It's a, <laughs> Real estate, it's an expensive business. Yeah. This is a grenades, not horseshoes thing. So it was, yep. it was yep. at some point in the past couple of months. It's hard with the press releases versus closing. We're really growing alongside of our customers in in what their needs are, and that's what's what's happening right now. So that's that's really what's next is executing on development. Where uh, are do- the where are the customers? Like where's the where are the sites that exist now? Our sites are fairly national. We own property in eighteen states, but most development is happening where where you would ex- expect it to happen on the west coast and we made a public announcement about uh, a corridor we're developing on i-10 from port of long beach in la to el paso in texas nice every 100 to 150 miles um, there's kind of two kinds of sites one with proximity to customer locations like i described before and then you know it's two between customer locations um more highway oriented mm-hmm. and ultimately so it's we, not just like home base charging it's on the way charging yeah there's yeah 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 ultimately we'd, we'd love to have you know great density in as many places as possible but you know that's a long-term vision Right. Uh, in the short term, it's focus on those couple of places where we have, you know, solid anchor customers and de- develop and try to deliver a good customer experience for them um, and high reliability, which mm-hmm. is, you know, both physical development and the technology that I described earlier. Yep. Amazing. All right. Ben Birnbaum, co-founder of Terawatt and partner at Keyframe Capital. Just doing it all in the infrastructure department. Ben, thanks so much for the time. Yeah, really nice to see you, Molly. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to Ben for joining us. And again, I hope you had a nice, long Thanksgiving break. We will be back on Monday with the news. And by that, I mean tomorrow. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll have news for you. And if you haven't already, by the way, go check out our new podcast and search for Founder University in your podcast feeds, especially if your New Year's resolution is going to be make a new startup. This is what you want to listen to first. These consist of 20-minute episodes with super tactical talks. We're talking accounting, SEO, how to make a proper blog post. It's really, really, really helpful. And we hope that every single episode makes founders say, huh, I need to show this to my team. 
Enjoy. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here tomorrow.